And <laughs> I don't know, I said, you think, how in the world you can do it? Well, I don't know either, but sometimes I'm amazed how I can stretch stuff out. But it doesn't mean it's God. God does it. So anyway, we're getting through this eventually. Uh, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Now, on Wednesday night, Brother Cliff is um, doing uh, kind of some similar stuff on false prophets, and he's going to go on a little, he goes into a lot more into it than what I'm going to, because he's going to have more time than me, because he can stretch it out. I tried to figure out where I could stop, but I couldn't find a place. So, uh, come on Wednesday so you can get that information, because it's good. If you're not coming, you're missing out. And uh, you'll get something if you come, I promise. Now, why did Jesus call false prophets wolves? In order to understand that, we have to understand wolves a little bit. Now, wolves are kind of a a different kind of an animal. They hide hide in the dark, and they pick off the sheep that are right on the edge. They'll run in, and they'll bite them on their backbone so they can't move, and they'll sneak back into the darkness. And then they'll go around somewhere else and they'll get a bite of another one. They'll do the same thing all around to get all those on the outskirts of the um, things. Now, wolves also eat deer, moose, caribou, birds, and rabbits, and even mice. But sheep are the only animal that they have that they are just, just killed to be killing. Most animals will kill an animal to eat it, but they kill just to be killing because there's something about sheep's blood and wolves that makes them become ravenous and they just can't control themselves. They're bloodthirsty and they'll bite and they'll kill just to be doing it. And it's only sheep they do it to. Now the larger animals, they kind of work in unison. If if a big animal gets out there, because they can't defeat big animals by themselves or they can't actually treat sheep by themselves. If they stay in the flock, and say whether, you know, not in the darkness, and when you get out in the edges of the darkness, then you're, you're, you know, you're having trouble. But these large animals are harder to uh, get or kill. So they, what they'll do is they'll work together, and they'll just come in, and one animal will bite the animal on its hamstring, and then someone, another animal over here will come in and bite, and they run back and forth, and the, ban- the animal just can't keep up with all these animals or these wolves that are surrounding them until finally the wolf succumbs, and, of course, they die, and then they eat it. But sheep is the only animal that they kill just for the thrill of killing because of that thing that they have for them. Now, believers are called sheep in the Bible. And uh, the reason they're called sheep is because Jesus is a shepherd. And we as sheep cannot survive if we're hanging out on the outskirts and we're not close to the shepherd where he can protect us. Because the sheep that's closer to the shepherd don't have any danger uh, from wolves because the shepherd will take care of the sheep. So that's what we want to do. We want to draw closer to to Christ and let him protect us. Now, no matter how strong we are as believers, and there's a lot of people, well, I could never fall for that. I'm stronger than that. Well, maybe not, but sooner or later, if you think think you're strong, be careful, you're going to fall. Because we're only strong in Christ. And we need to make sure that we understand that. But Jesus in, in, in this world or in this message is talking about false prophets that look like sheep. They come into the group and they look like sheep. And we have a hard time telling the difference between them. And uh, most of us are familiar with the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Aren't you? Everybody here don't know that? 
about the girl that's going to go see her sick grandma and the, and the wolf gets ahead of her and gets away with grandma and, and dresses up in her clothes and, and Little Red Riding comes in to visit her because the wolf wants to eat Little Red Riding Hood. Now, I, every time I think about this story, I wonder, man, that grandma must be one ugly person, you know, that you made a walk in the door, you couldn't see it was a wolf. <laughs> So anyway, and I know I've seen, I've seen people that look like that, and some of them I've seen in the mirror. <laughs> so, but she comes in, and as she starts looking at it a little closer, she says, Grandma, what big eyes you have, the better to see you with, my dear. What big ears you have, the better to hear you with, my dear. The better your, Mom, Grandma, what big teeth you have, the better to eat you with. And she jumps out, and she realizes, starts running, of course, the wooden, woodsman comes in and kills the, the wolf. But uh, Jesus is ta- isn't talking about disagreements about certain things. Wolves are like that. You know, they'll come in. Some people just all they want to do is argue, just for the sake of arguing, just to get a rise out of you. Now, if someone's just trying to argue for argument's sake, don't waste your time on them. Don't, and it isn't worth it. But Jesus isn't talking about people that just disagree about which Bible ver- version you're supposed to have. Oh, you can only read the King James, or you can only read the NIV, or, or all these other things. God isn't talking about that when he's talking about the, these things. He isn't talking about the way that you baptize. He's talking about doctrines that end in eternal death. That's what he's talking about. And what I call this damnable doctrine. If you believe these certain doctrines, you're going to go to hell. That's the reality of it. And that's what he's warning us against. Now, some of the damnable doctrine that we hear today is, oh, you just come up here and say this little prayer, and you can live any way you want. No, you can't. The Bible doesn't teach that. If you believe that and you say a prayer that doesn't mean absolutely nothing to you, you will go to hell. That's the reality of it. Or they'll tell you there is no hell, so you don't need to worry about it. Or you can just go into purgatory for a while, and as soon as you pay the penalty for your sins, then you get to get out. Lie. It's a lie right out of the pit of hell. That's a damnable doctrine. Or if you join this church, you're going to go to heaven. No, you won't. If your heart isn't right with God, I don't care which church you join. You can join every church in this community and still go to hell if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior. Or they'll tell you, come in here, and now you just do these many good works every week. We have this assignment for you. You go out there and do it, and you're going to go to heaven. No, you can't. If good works can get you to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. And only blood has to be shed for the remission of sins. Not anything else. That's what I call damnable doctrine. And there's a lot of it around, isn't there? Now, we think about prophets. We think about prophecy. Now, prophecy in the Bible has two main, two main functions. The first function is foretelling, things that's going to happen. And we have a lot of that in the Bible. Uh, there's, I don't know how many hundreds of scriptures there are in the Bible that talks about Jesus going to come and what he's going to do when he comes and everything. It's in here. And then Jesus came and he fulfilled that. So he was prophesied that he was going to come from the garden. Thousands of years before Jesus came to earth, it was said he would. How do we know? The Bible told us so. So that's kind of what we look at as prophets. And uh, Deuteronomy 18.20 tells us a little bit about how to know what the prophet is true. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. 
You may say to yourself, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by you, Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, it is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. But the Bible's idea of being a true prophet is not 50% accuracy. Now, if you can shoot 50% in a ball game, man, they want you. If you can shoot 50% of your free th- your uh, three-pointers, man, they're going to be after you. You can write your own ticket. But 50% of prophets who say something's going to happen and it doesn't, isn't cut it. It needs to be 100%. But isn't 100%? The Old Testament says you kill them, you stone them. Now, that's quite a bad punishment, isn't it? Well, God takes it seriously. He doesn't want anybody saying all these things in, in his name that isn't true. Now, I can list a lot of false prophecies from people and religions, but I'm not going to do that because I don't have time. We could be here all night, but you'd be amazed how many of them that they are. And if they have just one that didn't come true, it's a false. It's a false prophet, period. No excuses, nothing. That's what God says about them. Now, the second function of prophecy is foretelling, giving a message from God or preaching. Basically, I'm prophesying this morning because I'm talking about a message from God. And uh, I'm telling you that the things that, I, that you need to help you get to heaven. Talk about how to get, to sa- get saved. We talk about the gospel, about Jesus coming and dying on a cross for our sin. That's prophesying. And it has to be true and it has to line up with God's word. If it doesn't, it's false. No if, ands, or buts about it. That's the way it is. And God takes it very seriously. Now, remember, the big bad wolf looked pretty good to the little red riding hood until she started looking closer. We need to start looking a lot closer at these big-name evangelists, these these big religions that are around, and start looking a little closer at them. What do they believe? They sound good, and they look good on the surface, but if you start examining them, you're going to find out they're wolves. And uh, uh, God doesn't like that. Matthew 7, 15, again. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Now, Jesus was warning about the false prophets in his day. But who was he talking about? He was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees who were telling them all this stuff that didn't come from God. They were telling them that this is what you need to do to go to heaven. In reality, they were hypocrites. They were doing everything against God's will, and they would interpret God's law or God's word the way it best helps them and makes them become rich. So Jesus didn't like that. Now, we, have to, we know that he wasn't talking about any other religions because his whole audience were Jews. So he didn't need to worry about that. He was talking to the people that were there. Now, the bad thing about this was is the people came to the scribes and the Pharisees to learn about God's word. And they were the ones that interpreted it for them. They didn't have a Bible like this to look. All they had was going to the synagogue, and it was read to them. That's all they had. They didn't get to follow along because they didn't do that. That's the way they did it. They all didn't have access to the scrolls that they had. Only those that were studying to be Pharisees and that, or rabbis, got to actually look at God's Word in written form. It wasn't for us. So they had to come and let them interpret it for us. Now, Jesus wouldn't have had to say this if the people didn't listen to it. He had to tell that because they were listening to it. And it made 
Jesus angry because they were, it was the blind leading the blind in that. And they were talking about something as hypocrites, and they were, weren't even going to heaven. And yet they were telling them how to do it by their, their laws and things. Now, Matthew 23, 13, and 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Uh, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over the land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now, Jesus was very kind with Pharisees, wasn't he? <laughs> He didn't have a lot of tolerance for it because they were leading the people astray. And how was he forgetting shutting the door for them? He was shutting the door to the kingdom by telling them that they can't go to heaven unless they do it their way when they weren't even going to heaven themselves. Now that's a scary declaration from the one who knows how to get to heaven because he is the way to heaven, the only way. So uh, he knew that. But the, the Pharisees, they were just leading them astray. Acts 17, 11 out of the New Living Translation. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now, they were praised because they searched out God's word to find out if it was true. If we did that to everything that we heard, we'd find the truth, and we'd be able to find out who we shouldn't be listening to. Now, I'm not talking about something that I may say that, you know, kind of sometimes my mouth gets ahead of my mind. You know, I brush my teeth and can't do anything with my mouth, time, those moments. And most of the you know, I try to only speak what, what God's word says. Sometimes I get the words mixed up and it sounds different, which is fine. But go home and search it for yourself. Don't take it for granted that everything I say is direct from the throne room. I try to do my best. But if you find something, whatever, look it up for yourself. That's what God wants you to do. And if they were told them, <clears throat> searching out Paul and Silas, man, that's the top of the top of the rung of the ladder. So everyone below that needs to be examined too. And if everyone did that, we wouldn't have all these cults and all these false religions and all these false prophets running around the world because they wouldn't survive. But they survive by telling you things that aren't true, so you send them their money. And they can build up their own kingdom because that's all they care about. They're not worried about God's kingdom. They want their kingdom. That's all they do that. But if we didn't, if we searched it out, we wouldn't send them our money. And if you're sending money to people uh, from television or radio, I hope you check them out first. You make sure because you're responsible under God to make sure you're giving his money to the right place. Of course, remember, your tithes go to the church, offerings... You know, if you want to send somebody an offering, that's fine, but don't give it to them out of your tithes because God says your tithes belong to the church. So don't get that mixed up. We need to search it out, everything. Galatians 1.8. <clears throat> but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's church curse. I, God said, I don't care if an angel tells you something. A supernatural power. And we have, it's amazing, all the religions that are started by seeing an angel. We don't listen to angels, we listen to God. And where do we find out God's word? It's in here. 
I know a lot of people say, well, that ain't God's word because it's been translated so many times and it's wrong. No, it isn't. They're finding um, scrolls that have been around for thousands of years and they compare it with what we have and it's so close it's scary. Punctuation is a big, the biggest thing that we don't have because they didn't have a lot of that then. So don't you believe that. You tell you challenge them to seek it out and show me the proof that it isn't true and that it's not translated correctly. Show me. I always ask them when they tell me that, uh, which verse isn't translated correctly? Which part? And they go, I don't know. Because they just repeat a mantra that they've heard. We aren't to repeat mantras that we've heard. We need to repeat God's word. Amen. And you find it here, then I'll believe it. But if it's not, don't believe people. I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's an angel. Don't listen to them. That's what God said. Now, when we first came here, moved here, almost 12 years ago, we went to a local church. We tried them all. We went to a, to a church we thought would be the best place for us to be able to serve because we didn't believe in sitting on the, on the pew doing nothing. So we felt that we found what we thought was a, a good place to serve. We spent hours and hours questioning the pastor about his doctrine because it was a non-denominational church. And we thought he answered all the correct way, so we started going there. But all of a sudden, this non-biblical doctor started sticking up its ugly head, and I spent hours questioning him about it. And finally, we had to leave because when you find a doctrine that's consistently wrong, don't believe it. You have to leave. You can't put yourself in that position. And, of course, you have to know what it says here in order to know. See, most people are, are uh, counting on you not knowing anything. And if you say it in King James language, it sounds like it's true, doesn't it? Thou shalt follow me, because God thus saith. Okay, all right. Well, man, man they spoke like, like words sounded good, didn't it? All right. God didn't tell you that. He said, you search it out. Let's see, Matthew seven sixteen to 20. Now, it's difficult to some, sometimes to find out who the false prophets are. So he gave us a secret sign so we would know. We like secret signs, don't we? Real easy to know. Um, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. Fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a, fruit, a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The fruit of somebody's life isn't how many people follow them. That doesn't mean what they're saying is true. Does their life line up with a with what they're saying. A lot of them don't. There's a lot of people out there that are teaching you how to live that aren't living that way. They're out building their own kingdom. God tells us we need to search it out to find out. It has to line up against this word. Bad fruit reproduces too. There's a lot of people believe and follow bad fruit, uh, people that produce bad fruit. But we need to find out what this word says. Now, if I spend all week drinking and carousing around, getting drunk, and then I come up here on Sunday and preach the word, how could you listen to me? Even if what I said was true, how could you listen to me? 
because my life, the fruit of my life, would not line up with it. So you shouldn't listen to me because I could sneak something in on you and you don't listen to all the rulers that you have. I don't care how great they are. You line up the whole thing because the devil is good at twisting Scripture. That's how he got Eve in the garden. He says, hath God not said? The not was the lie that he put in there. And God heard to question. As soon as we start questioning God's word, we're in trouble. If they can get you to question God's word, they've got you. Because what else is wrong? Oh, man, that's what it said. And sometimes they don't even show you what it says. They just tell you what it says, even whether it's right or wrong. And we fall hook, line, and sinker for it. And we can't do that as believers. And God doesn't want us to. I can't just preach feel-good messages either. I need to preach about everything in the Bible. That includes hell. That includes how we live our lives. And remember when I'm preaching like this, most of it's pointing back at me. So you get this message once, I've had it all week. Chewing on it. So <laughs> thinking, oh God, boy, what's my life like? You know? And so but <clears throat> we need to understand that. Now Judas serves as a good warning to all of us, doesn't he? He walked. And lived with Jesus for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? He even went out with the other disciples and preached the good news that they had that Jesus had come. He was out there preaching right alongside of them. I mean, he did such a good job at deception that when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't even have a clue who it was. Now, if he can do that, Right there, spending, sleeping, eating, everything they did, right in the presence of Christ, who do we think we are? We can fall very easily. And, of course, he had some things in his life. He was the secretary treasurer, so he was kind of taking, embezzling money is the, is the term we use today. And he was in it for the money. And there's a lot of people who are in it for the money. No matter what they say or, or how they say it, it doesn't matter. Matthew 7, 21a. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Whoa! That's a serious message to the world today. Now, not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. How do I know that? Because 80% of our, our nation claims to be a Christian. Now, if they were a Christian, we would not be in this mess. We would not vote immoral leaders in charge if we were believers. We would care what they believed in. What is their platform? We don't, well, I like him because he's cute. That's a good reason to vote for somebody. He's a sharp dresser. But that's the way we do it, isn't it? We can't vote for him because they're a heartthrob, ladies. Can't. Or if they're beautiful, Guys, that's not the way we do it. We do it according to this word. Do they live? What's their fruit? If I, they can't, of course, a lot of times lately we've been, it's the least of two evils is what we're doing, isn't it? Because we're, we're in a mess. But we need to pray, pray for that because God can turn it around. And we get a chance, another chance, chance next year to do just that. We need to take it. Matthew seven twenty two and 23. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. 
There are things, these are things that believers are supposed to be doing. We should be out there doing those very things. And if somebody did that today, man, I'll tell you, their ministry would be so huge that you couldn't contain them in a big stadium. They'd have to have two or three services a day in a big stadium. Because they follow the signs. They follow the people and not God's word. Now, what is this um, day that he's talking about? Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled away from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now everyone is at this judgment seat we call the great white throne judgment. They're going to hell. If you find yourself here, it's over. See, for us as believers, we're not there. We're not at this judgment. We're at, we've already taken care of that. A thousand and seven years before, we got our rewards. So where'd you get that number? Pull that out of a hat? No, I pulled that out of the Bible. Seven years of the tribulation. A thousand years he comes back and sets up his kingdom. That's a thousand and seven. It's at least that. It's probably more than that because it says that Jesus, uh, Satan's loose for a little season. After being bound a thousand years, I don't know how long that is. But we're not going to be there. We were up in heaven for seven years having a good old time, having Pentecostal fits, running the aisles, getting our rewards. Whatever they are, it don't matter. Because when we get our crowns, because we get crowns, and I don't know whether they're actual little crowns or symbolic crowns. I think it's kind of literal crowns. And you're going to have things on there, and everybody's going to know which jewel on your crown is for. Faithfulness. You know, you don't get a crown unless you're saved, so that's, that's a given. And people can see that, but it doesn't matter because it says that we take our crowns and we throw them at the feet of Jesus in worship. So it doesn't matter what you get. We get to go, and we're not here. I don't want to be here. Now, I know that the, uh, a lot of people believe that we have different levels of heaven. We don't. We have different rewards, but not different levels. I can go through any part of heaven I want to as a believer, and so can you. But my reward is going to be different than yours. I get a star for being a pastor or something of mine. I get, and you'll get one for whatever it is that you do. Doesn't matter, though, because we throw them at the feet of Jesus. Because we're not in it for that. We're in it for our love of God and the fact that he saved us from this. Amen. So it's amazing to me. That uh, the people, and the thing about that one verse I said, that they, we've done this, these things in your name. We've cast out demons. We've done all this stuff. He didn't call them a liar. That amazes me. That means they actually were doing that. And you do things in Jesus' name, the devil has to obey. But the sons of Stephen found out that if you, if you don't have the goods, you're going to get beat up. <laughs> When he cast out demons, they says, Paul, we know, but who are you? Jesus, we know, who are you? And they jumped on him. And they ran naked, trying to get away. That's in the Bible. 
Look it up. <clears throat> now, a big name evangelist who's seen thousands of people saved will not have a greater reward than the missionary that's been on the field for 40 years and not saw one soul except Christ. They're going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. Have I been faithful to do what God has called me to do? Now, if God has called you to be a plumber, good. God will reward you for that because you're faithful what he's called you for. But he called you to be a pastor and you're a plumber. God ain't happy with you. You need to ask God what he wants you to do. When we do what we're called to do, we'll get rewarded for our faithfulness. That's what I want. And the biggest prayer warriors or the biggest reward that people get are prayer warriors. That big name evangelist that you see on TV that has thousands of people in his meetings. They're going to get and stand before God and then that prayer warrior is going to come up. And that's where the rewards are going to be really lavished. Because that's the hardest job, isn't it? The hardest job that anybody has is to be a prayer warrior. But the good thing about it is that God calls people to be prayer warriors. And he gives us the desire to do that. And when we're faithful what we're called to do... We get a big reward for it. <clears throat> now, we're all called to be soul winners. We're not excused from that. It doesn't matter. It isn't just my job to preach salvation and to show them how to lead people to Christ. It's your job, too. If you can't do that, you need to start learning. Because it isn't my job. It's our job. We're all ministers. You're a minister whether you like it or not if you're a believer. And you need to start acting like it. <clears throat> now, I had a great come to Jesus moment when I realized I couldn't save anybody. Wow, that's a great revelation to me because I was trying so hard to get people saved and I was doing everything I could and push, 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 push and nothing happened. And I get angry. See, God, I did all this and it's your fault. <laughs> he says, yeah, you're right. But you're not doing it my way. I was trying to do it in my own strength. I can't save anyone. All I can do is present the gospel to people and it's up to him to save them, to convict them. I have to, I'm required to help them, lead them to Christ if the opportunity arises. But it's God's job. We do our job, God does his. We can't let, we can't try to do God's job because we'll fail every time. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Now there are a lot of people when we talked about them, uh, ones that did all those good works, prophesied and cast out demons and many miracles in your name. <clears throat> those are the group that, that believe that, oh, it's works. Works get you to heaven. That's how you get there. That was their gospel. That's what they searched for. The more works I do, the bigger I'm going to be in the kingdom. Be higher in the kingdom. People are going to look at me. Pride. Jesus didn't call us to be prideful. He called us to be servants. And that isn't a lot of people in this world don't want to be servants. But if you're not willing to be a servant, you're in trouble. You need to pray till you become one. And a servant means, yeah, I'll serve God with that job or that job, or I'll serve him as a pastor, I'll serve him as an evangelist, I'll serve him in children's church. It doesn't matter. Right, we're servants. We all have different jobs and different responsibilities that we have. Now, most false religions claim to be the only way there is to heaven. You heard that? And those are the ones that usually have changed their doctors, doctor, and I don't know how many times. How do I know it? I have the early stuff and I have the later stuff, and they don't line up. And I'm, the Assemblies of God hasn't changed their 16 tenets of faith since they started 16 or over 100 years ago. 
And ever since day one, every ethnic group was allowed to be a minister, including women. Usually those, those other religions don't want women to do anything. Stay home, have babies, and, and be a servant to your husband. God has created all of us equal. Every one of us. He didn't say, oh, you're a man, so you've got to do these jobs, and you're a woman, you've got to do these jobs. Now, I'm not saying that, that there aren't some things that women can't do that men can do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as the ministry, God can call anybody he wants to do whatever he wants. And I like the Assemblies of God because they haven't changed, and they will never change. They'll have all the leadership high up as you want, and they'll, they shoot them before they will change. And I, that's why I like it. And if you have a, have a look into a doctrine that's changed over and over and over and over and over again through the years, now I'm, not, now I'm not talking about customs, because they change. Customs change. When the Assemblies of God in, early, in the early 1900s, the women wore long dresses, weren't allowed to wear red, couldn't wear makeup. That's the way it was. That changed. I'm glad it changed. And the guys are saying, amen, I've seen some of those women without makeup. <laughs> So, but that isn't going to get you to heaven. It's what's in here. And God can call anybody he wants. I like it. The kids sing a song. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Every, all is precious in his sight. We sang that as a kid, didn't we? Well, it's true. God isn't a respecter of persons, period. Doesn't matter. He don't care what color you are. He don't care whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter to him. All that matters to him is that he loves you and he's gifted you in a certain way to do his will, whatever it might be. I don't know what it is. If you don't know, we can kind of figure out, figure out some things for you if we need to because we taught how to find your niche <clears throat> in the church we came from for a few years while we were there. So we're kind of familiar with that kind of stuff. So if that's you, then we'd love to help you. Now, a lot of religions think women are, are property, don't they? They have no rights, especially over in the Middle East. And uh, they use sex to draw men to become members. In Islam, it's 72 virgins. I don't know who's volunteering for that. (laughs) Do you ladies? I don't want to go. If that's my heaven, I don't want to be there. (laughs) Or you can have as many wives as you want. If you have them sealed to you, then you got all these women up there. Now, to men... That is, they can't imagine heaven without sex. And that's how they get them into join their, their false religion. But see, God created, created human beings to procreate the race. That's why he created sex. And he had to make it enjoyable or people wouldn't do it, right? Of course, women, after you've had your first child, says, you get away from me, you dirty dog. You did this to me! In Matthew 22, God, uh, Jesus addresses this situation. They have Sadducees. He comes to see him. Uh, they're the ones that don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see, if you want to know which one they are. The ones that are sad are the ones that don't believe in resurrection. So they come to him, and they try to trap him in this story. And he says, we have a man, and he's married to this woman, and they don't have any children, and he dies. Now, in their custom, it was up to the brother to take that woman and his wife, and the first child was born to the dead brother, belonged to him. And he says, well, they had seven brothers. And every one of them married this woman. 
I think it was the woman was the problem, don't you? After, after, after five, I think I would have figured it out. <laughs> but uh, he says, finally the woman dies. Whose wife is she going to be in heaven? That's what they tried to tempt him with. And we have an answer. Matthew 22, 28 to 30. Or 20, well, I didn't change the 28, but that's what it is. He says, now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. He answered the question. There's not, we don't need to have babies in heaven. I'm glad. I don't want any more. I had mine. I did my duty. I had mine. <laughs> Hi, baby. <coughs> So I did that, I, you know, but in there, that isn't my idea of heaven. It may be God's idea of heaven, but it isn't mine. I don't want to go if I'm just supposed to have babies. But that was created for this world because we needed to procreate the race. In heaven, we don't need to. We're getting new glorified bodies. And I'm not going to have a womb in heaven. <laughs> There's no room in my womb <laughs> in heaven. <laughs> so I, we're going to have a Glorified body, and we're never going to die. See, in this world, people die. And if people didn't have babies, I don't know how many years it would be when there would be no people. But in heaven, we're all glorified. We live forever. We don't need that. So, that's what God tells us. Now, nothing in the Bible teaches us that life in heaven will be anything like the life we have here. I know he says, uh, gives us a lot of parables, says heaven is like and a lot of likes, but it doesn't say it's, it's like that. That's what it is. He says it's like that because it's kind of hard to describe heaven in our language. You ever tried that? Tried that? Tried to explain salvation, what it did for you, and how it made you feel, and all that other kind of stuff? It's hard. We have to find synonyms to let us know, well, it's like this. And that's what we do. It doesn't taste like chicken, though. <laughs> it's interesting the way God touches each one of us. Now, I do believe, although I don't believe in there's, uh, there's, I do believe there's different rewards in heaven, no, not different levels, but I also believe that there's different rewards in hell. Hitler will get, receive greater punishment than someone that's doing the things that God accused them of. And I, I kind of believe, and people say, well, how can that be? Well, I don't know, God can do it. But I think to me, can you imagine being in hell and giving God's, attitude towards sin and having your life for eternity just flash before your eyes if God's repulsive enough for sin. That would be, everyone would be punished differently, wouldn't they? But I don't care how much you do in this world, how many good works that you do. The best place, best seat in hell <laughs> is better than the worst seat in heaven. I guarantee it. Don't want to go there. It's a real place. Jesus talked a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. Look it up, you'll see. You'll be amazed. Of course, a lot of people try to tell us it doesn't exist. Well, if it doesn't exist, why didn't Jesus tell us it didn't exist? He had an ample opportunity. <clears throat> now, the people, the, the false teachers or whatever that uh, Jesus is talking about, they're the ones that want power and prestige, money to build their own kingdom. That's what their enticement is. And if some good happens to come out as far as you're concerned, they don't care. But we need to 
check every single message, every single word that is spoken. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. The only thing that sounds too good to be true actually is salvation. But see, it's, it, it's free and it's easy, but we have to give up our sin, don't we? And the reason people don't accept Christ as their Savior is because they don't want to give up their sin. That's the only reason. And all they can think about is, oh, man, I have to give up this. Man, I have to, I have to go to church. And I told somebody that uh, asked me, that, how come you have to go to church all the time? I said, I don't have to. I get to. There's a difference. Now, there's a lot of things in my life as a believer I don't want to do that I used to do. So if I don't want to do them, did I give them up? The world out there can't understand that. But believers can. Looking at your own life, I don't want to do all those things I used to do. I want to please God. And it breaks my heart when I do something that breaks his. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us, our heart to be broken when we break his heart by doing things he doesn't want us to do. And false prophets, there's a special place in hell for them because they're leading people astray. And that's one of the worst things you can do in this world. And he addressed it, and he didn't care whether they liked him or not. He had him and the Pharisees tangled all the time. Of course, I understand that to a certain degree because they were tearing up his religion, their religion. He was getting more followers than they had. He was getting bigger offerings. So you can kind of understand where they're coming from. But they, it wouldn't bother them if they'd read their Bible and known who he was. They're going to hell mainly. Everybody that goes to hell mainly is because they rejected Christ. When he came and died for us, he's going to ask, what did you do with Christ? He did everything he can for you. He died for us. What, did you, what have you done with him? Do you know him? Have you accepted him as your personal savior? If not, you're going to stand before the throne empty-handed. Maybe you've done a lot of good things, but then you say, what did you do with Jesus? Past that pastor you had told you every single week. She gave you an opportunity to accept me, and you refused. And at that moment... Every sermon that I've ever preached is going to flash before your eyes, bunch everybody else, and that's the opportunities. And you're going to go away from there, guilty. I don't want that. I don't want that for anybody here. I don't want to follow false prophets. I'm going to start, I'm going to, I search them out. And you need to, too. Well, if you do, you won't be led astray. But we need to do that. Trust, but Verify. That's that's what we need to do. That's God's message. Trust but verify. And how do you verify it? You verify it on your knees and here. This is where you verify it. Amen? Let's pray. Our precious Father, Lord, thank you again for this day and your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd hide your